it's something that we're so well conditioned into that sacrificial mother that that's what it means to do a good job that's what it means to love your kids and of course you want to do a good job and you want to love your kids and we're not told that we have needs and that our needs really do matter You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 407. Today, we're talking about what are the signs of mom burnout with Mara Glatzel. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast, my friend. So glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here with you, too. I am so honored to be here, to be able to learn and converse and be part of this conversation. It's such an honor. Hey, listen, if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe. Leave us a rating and review also on Apple Podcasts. You can do it right where you're listening to this podcast on your phone. And it makes such a huge difference to me and to my team and everyone. Just helps the podcast grow more. Um, And I really, really appreciate it. Today, I'm going to be talking to Mara Glatzel. She's an author, an intuitive coach, and a podcast host who helps humans stop abandoning themselves and start reclaiming their humanity through embracing their needs and honoring their natural energy rhythms. And her superpower is saying what you need to hear when you need to hear it. And she is here to help you believe in yourself as much as she believes in you. We're going to talk about how to get your needs met. Like, what do you need right now, right? Can we even answer that question? And for many of us, especially moms, we aren't comfortable asking for our needs um, when our children have so many needs, right? There's this real sense of scarcity of time and energy for meeting our needs, and this can lead to burnout, right? So Mara is the author of Needy, and we're going to talk about the signs of burnout and how to avoid it. This is such a much-needed conversation. I hope you'll join me at the table as I talk to Mara Glatzel. Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful Parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. 
In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child, no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. Mara, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to be here too. And I'm so excited to talk about mom's needs and burnout and things like that because, well, I just want to share with you my own experience with this because it was so, it was so on the forefront of everything that I experienced with my, my kids and that I just realized like, you know, there was, yeah, I don't know whether it was my mom who like took herself on horseback riding lessons when I was a kid or what it was, but I, I knew so instinctively like that I need, I need to exercise. I need to sleep. I was like a raging, like a Jurassic Park dinosaur when I didn't sleep enough. And I, you know, I need to have time to, at the time it was painting, I need to have time to like have expression. And I couldn't understand how people were like continuing to function with the amounts of like sleep or or lack of doing anything from themselves that I could observe from the outside. And this is a pretty big problem, isn't it? Yeah, it's a huge problem. And it's something that we're so well conditioned into, that sacrificial mother, that that's what it means to do a good job. That's what it means to love your kids. And of course, you want to do a good job and you want to love your kids. And that we're not told as often, although I think, you know, the conversation is increasingly common, which is wonderful, that we have needs and that our needs really do matter. And, you know, for me, I was lucky to have uh, to have experienced pretty significant burnout prior to having kids. And so when I saw the warning signs for myself, I was aware of what was happening for me and also where that was going to go. Um, in that it was just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse if I didn't prioritize my own care. And I think it's a, it is absolutely essential that mothers are told over and over again that they matter because we're not we couldn't possibly be told that enough. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, we can see the effects of that in a lot of people. You know, I think um, I thought of that, you know, sometimes I use like my mother-in-law as an example of that, like she was super self-sacrificing when my husband were and his sister were young and did everything didn't work and like you know did all these things for them and and I according to him she got a little like frustrated and overwhelmed and everything with that by the time they were teenagers and then by the time I had kids we lived much closer to his parents and then my parents were up in um, New England there wasn't just like a, a lot of energy for grandkids, you know, it was just like that That wasn't there. It was like I was and for me, I see that as clearly kind of a symptom of burnout um, that that happens. Um, let's just take a moment because for you, I want to hear about your story about burnout and I want to kind of like go back. So 
thinking about you and your childhood, how were how were you raised and were was were you given what was the example that you were given for how a mom should be a mom? Yeah, so my mother um both of my parents really um had a very active relationship with one another. They weren't together for that much of my life, but for the first couple of years, um they really and continued after as co-parents where they both took a lot of responsibility for parenting us and being present in our lives. And when I was really little, my dad traveled a ton. So I saw my mom doing everything for us all of the time. But she had help to the extent that, you know, we were able to have help in our family. And then when my parents got divorced, my father was here more full time. And so, you know, they were kind of bouncing back and forth in terms of who was parenting us. But what I did see over and over again was how confident my mom was in my dad's ability to take care of us. So, you know, even when we were really small, she would do the things that she needed to do either for work or, you know, for her friendships or, you know, just for her own personal needs and would leave us with him without you know, doing a bunch of emotional labor, like she didn't really set anything up. She didn't, you know, I don't know, these things people do cook dinner in advance or write little notes. This is what you're supposed to do. All of that. She didn't do any of that because from her perspective, you know, he's a absolutely capable individual. He knows us well and he's going to figure it out and it's going to be fine. And so I will say that that example has been so helpful for me now with kids that I can take that space for myself. I don't feel, I mean, sometimes I feel guilty about doing that because I miss my kids or, you know, whatever, but I don't feel guilty about my partner parenting. They are perfectly well equipped to parent. I don't feel the inclination to micromanage how that happens when I'm not there, which I think can be such a drain on so many of us to want it to also be this certain way. I have expectations that when I come home, it's not like a hot mess (laughs) that I have to clean up. And, you know, I think that those kinds of examples are really powerful. You know, when we see both of our parents participating, both of our parents, like that expectation of like, we're both adults and we can figure it out. And, you know, we have different strengths, certainly, but, you know, it is what it is and it's going to be great and it's going to be fine. That that has been such a gift to me in my parenting, certainly. And for me personally, you know, the the trick has been that in much of my childhood, both of my parents are much more um, like they don't need routines the same way that I do. And, you know, kids need routines. Certainly I needed routines more as a child that would have benefited me, but I still need that as an adult. And so you know, something that I was able to see from my childhood that ended up ultimately really healing me from my burnout. And I carry that through into my parenting is that I do things in a really structured way. You know, we go to sleep at the same time every day. We eat all of our meals at the same time and in the same way. There's this expectation of this is when things are going to happen. And sure, I'm I'm sure that helps my kids, but that helps me. That helps the inner kid inside of me to be more emotionally regulated, to be more um, present to what is going to happen um, over the course of the day. And that's not something that 
my parents were big on. That wasn't something that either of them really need. They both travel a lot. I'm more of a homebody. We're just different in that way. And so I learned that lesson too. It's like, oh, you know, what I personally needed was to know at six o'clock every night, we're going to eat dinner. It's going to be in this kind of way. I just have that kind of personhood. And so now as an adult, I create that for myself and I create that for my kids. And it's useful. It has been a useful tether for me in the parenting journey too, to know like this is when bedtime is going to happen. This is what it's going to look like. It's going to be the same way every day. I find that soothing and that's helped me to be a better parent as well. I could see how that would be really soothing because I, my husband and my oldest daughter are very much like that, that they need their kind of children of routine. And I'm super not like I'm like your parents, like, like I need like things that are I need variety and and I love to travel and stuff like that. And and uh, it's so fascinating, though, because I I could see it in my children, like how they just thrived off everything that was sort of regular and predictable, especially when they were little, of course, like this, like we do this on this day. Like we had a we had um, a meal rhythm plan. It wasn't like a plan, but it was like a rhythm where it was like Monday was rice night and Tuesday was soup and Wednesday was pasta and Friday was pizza, something like that, right? Like, so we had this like sort of predictable thing and they would be like, what night is it? And they'd mean like, is it noodle night? Basically, it's always was it noodle night. And, but that was super anchoring for them, right? They knew the sort of rhythm of the week, the rhythm of their days and things like that. And yeah, I think that 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 piece is incredibly, incredibly valuable. Um, and that's great that you had that example. I think my mom went, out and like my dad would make us popcorn or juice for dinner, <laughs> which is like that was like a pretty typical dinner with dad when mom was working at night. You know, sometimes it was the same. I have this memory when we were my dad built all of the original urban outfitters across the country. So when we were little, we would travel to see him sometimes and we would stay with him wherever he was on site, which was always like you know, this like rented condo or something where he was living while it was being built. And I have memories of eating, you know, pizza Doritos for breakfast. And I remember it fondly. It was an anomaly. And I think that helps too. It's like, it's, that was fine. It was fine, whatever it was. And so, you know, it helps me to be less vigilant like that, the holder of all of the things that even when I'm not present, I'm also, you know, setting the tone or dictating whatever it is. I mean, my partner is a professional chef, so this is not an apt exact equation for our relationship because they make amazing food all the time. Whether or not the kids will eat it is another thing. But um, but yeah, I just think, you know, part of what is so heavy in that burnout is I I have to have everything go exactly this way. And there's not room for stepping away and taking a breath or getting a break or having time to really be um, unplugged or disconnected, even if it's just for half an hour from what is happening in your home. Because that's it's heavy. There's so much emotional labor that's woven into that that um, is so heavy to carry. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcasts right after this break. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. 
This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I think especially, especially when our children, you told me earlier that you have a three-year-old and six-year-old when our children are young, you know, they don't retreat to their room for like an hour and a half at a time, like my 13-year-old and 16-year-old do, you know? So. <laughs> never seen it. Never seen that. No. It will happen. It will happen. Trust me. So Mara, so tell me, you wrote about and you talked about your burnout. Can you tell us the story of what happened? Yeah. So the first time that I was significantly burnt out, I was in grad school, my second year of grad school, getting my master's in social work. And it became clear to me at that point what a toll my perfectionism was taking on me. And, you know, I had always been a high achiever. I had always been somebody who was highly invested in doing everything right. Um, you know, a lot of my felt experience of safety came from micromanaging people's perceptions of me, which I was pouring a lot of energy into. And I didn't really realize it because I didn't know that people lived any other way. You know, I wasn't conscious of it. And until things came crashing down where I had too much on my plate, I had too much to manage. Things were just sort of, you know, leaking around the edges and I couldn't contain it the way that I had before. And I was exhausted and I was drinking tons of coffee to kind of keep myself awake. I would come home, I would fall asleep, like eating dinner, sitting on the couch, watching TV, whatever it was I was doing. 
I was had no energy for my partner whatsoever. And it became clear that I was far more familiar with who I believed I was expected to be than who I actually was. That actually my whole life to that point was constructed so that it looked good. It looked the right way. I was doing kind of the quote unquote right things, um, but it didn't feel good. It didn't look like, I mean, I, I don't think I would have known at this point in my life what like me even looks like because I didn't know myself. I was so intimately connected with striving to be better and striving to perform and striving to be enough. And I really had to slow down. I had the enough of an understanding that this wasn't what it was supposed to be like and also that it wasn't sustainable for me and that things were going to only degrade worse from there. But it took it took a, a while to reconnect with myself and to rebuild or to really just get to know myself. You know, what do I want to do? Turned out I didn't want to be a social worker, which was huge. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't want to work for somebody else. I had already spent a cool $100,000 on that education. Um, so, you know, there was a cost to this self-knowledge. But I had this very just visceral understanding of nobody in my life even knows me. I have, you know, I am presenting who I think they want me to be on so many fronts, being a good daughter, being a good partner. We were, you know, my partner and I were just about to get married at this point, And I hadn't really let them know me totally. And so at that moment, I had to start somewhere. And what became so clear was I was not permitting myself to take up space in my life anywhere. It was all about what I was doing and doing for other people and how well I was doing it and how I was performing. And when I started to do things like brush my teeth in the bathroom and look at myself in the mirror without, you know, brushing my teeth while on my phone, while looking at my calendar, while doing all of these things, I felt so uncomfortable. I felt so uncomfortable resting or slowing down. It felt like I wanted to stop and start and pick everything else up and keep running with it. And I started to work with people around self-care um, a couple of years after that, kind of growing out of that own, my own experience and also um, my professional training in supporting people in that way. But until I had my children, I wasn't focusing on needs in particular. You know, after I had my kids, I really, I remember looking at my daughter in the hospital and I had been in labor for like 60 hours and I was so tired and I was supposed to be her mom. You know, I was supposed to like know what to do. And, and I was struck by how I was having my own experience. She was needing something from me. I was needing something from myself. And, you know, I didn't feel equipped to be a parent, really. And just how much gets lost, right? You're a kid and you're asking for what you need and your parents are having their own experience or they're stressed about money or they're trying to figure it out or, you know, just how much gets transmitted and how often people I work with, the reason they don't ask for what they need goes back to childhood. Not because 
by and large, they were neglected or mistreated by their parents. Mostly there's just this disconnect, right? I needed this thing and they weren't available for it at the time. They seemed stressed. I stopped asking because I wanted to be helpful. And so much is happening that is misunderstood. And then we become these adults and we don't know how to ask for what we need. We don't even know what we're allowed to need to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, these are like these small T traumas. I'm reading Gabor Mate's book, The Myth of Normal, right now. And he talks about that, like these small T traumas where, you know, just in a normal upbringing, like there are needs that get missed. You know, you just like, you're not seen, you're not heard, right? And in a bunch of different ways. And it's not that we're wanting or expecting anybody's parents to be perfect and to be always attentive to every single thing. Cause, dear listener, like that's not good for your kids either. But yeah, this is just this is that that part of life. And it often, you know, maybe with our generation, too, we had a lot of like, uh, I don't know, I was like a latchkey kid and just no one was around. People had their own stuff going on. And there's got to, I guess there's like a middle path ultimately that we're going for here. But yeah, this idea that we're and this is common, right? We're not seeing our needs. And, and especially, I think, postpartum, like that moment, our culture is so bad at recognizing that, oh, my God, this woman, this this mother is born. Like, I, I love the way my friend Kimberly Johnson talks about this idea of a matrescence, right? A, a birth of a mother. And you're born and you're forgotten. You have a boo-boo inside your body the size of a dinner plate and you're just like forgotten. You know, it's all about the baby and really like the way we have things set up with just you know, it, it's just like without this like huge gathering of support around mothers, it's it's our needs are forgotten there. So that was kind of a waking up moment for you, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, what became clear was up until that point, I had enough corners of my life to make it OK. And, you know, I never had to ask anybody for anything directly. I was able to kind of make it work. But once I had my my oldest daughter, I couldn't I had nothing left to make it work. You know, I felt like this pot boiling over and I could not help myself. I was so tired. I was saying things I was couldn't even believe were coming out of my mouth and felt so, you know, I I, I am lucky to have a partner who asks me what I need fairly often. And I felt like I, I didn't even know what I was allowed to need. I didn't even know it was on the table. You know, that question wasn't particularly useful. It's great that it was asked. That's not the case for all of us. But I didn't really know what to do with it. Like, what can I, I'm at this point brand new to asking for and receiving support from other people in a very real way. So I don't know how to do that. That doesn't feel particularly safe for me. And I had to learn that from the ground up. And as I was learning it, realizing just how many gaps there are in the conversation, you know, just the, the actual vocabulary for what is a need? What am I allowed to need? And what is it okay to ask? How do I ask? And these are real questions and skills that we need in order to, to have the confidence to have these conversations, especially if Say, you know, you're in a relationship with somebody who may not be as invested in giving you what you need. You feel like, well, I have to have a really good reason for asking for the things that I'm asking for. I really want to feel confident in knowing 
how to ask. You know, I think by and large, when we're talking to parents, parents of young children, there is that visceral felt sense of there's one scrap of resources, time, energy, money to go around. And, you know, there's this kind of mad dash for it because we're definitely not both getting what we need. And there's nothing, you know, the scarcity is real. The scarcity is real. And um, if we don't know how to communicate what we need, how are we supposed to figure it out together? And you see so many couples of, or, you know, co-parents of young kids really struggling in their relationship with one another. And this communication is a huge part of that. So do you feel like like we should be looking at these needs? Like, are there questions we should be asking each other before we even have kids? Like, it, ideally, like, are there are there things that we should be saying, conversations we should be having before then? Because I think a lot of what happens, like, particularly like with men and women who get married, like, women fall into those traditional gender roles because oftentimes those questions or the conversations aren't even had of like who does the laundry or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Who or or it may even be something that's even more subtle, like the mom ends up taking care of all the administrative things for the child, like the all the doctor's appointments, the school, talking to the school, talking to the nurses, talking to all the setting up the sports team, all that, all that stuff. Right. And that's not fair either. Right. Like, but we if we don't have these conversations, that's what happens. Like, I, I remember distinctly having a conversation with my husband saying, you need to take care of more of the more of the like signing up for stuff. I'm done. You know, like, I need you to take half of that stuff because this is like a, annoying and relentless work to do this this kind of thing. So anyway, so are these conversations we should be having before we have kids? Yeah, I think that the more that we can work on our communication before we have kids or insert any stressful situation, um, you know, talking about how we talk to one another when things are challenging is a really important relational skill. And having practices in place, you know, you'll see people who have like a weekly check-in or a check-in once a day, something like that, that will, um, where they'll divvy things up. I love uh, Eve Rodsky's The Fair Play Method. And I think that that is, should be um, done by all couples. What is it? It's a um, method for dividing up labor in a relationship. And, you know, really, it's like having all of the parts of it on the table. And she has this concept of, you know, the magic card is like if you're holding the card for, I don't know, say the birthday party, right? You're ordering the stuff on Amazon ahead of time. You're setting the invitation. You're talking to people. You're doing, you know, you are doing all of the parts of that task because otherwise what happens is, you know, default, the parent who does the emotional labor is doing some of the things of everything. So you're never just off the hook, right? You're, you know, maybe your partner is doing the signing the kids up for camp, but there's like an email in your inbox that you have to sign up, sign off on before they can do that. It's like that you hold a part in so many different things. And before I knew about the fair play method, they have like a deck and like fun ways that you can play with it. There's a documentary that's really useful. But before I knew about that, I kind of had uh, created something that my partner and I used where I wrote down on a piece of paper, 
basically, here's all of the things that need to be done in a week, right? The lunches that need to be made, kid, kid A needs to be driven here, kid B needs to be driven here, picked up, thing, thing, you know, bills, grocery, like everything that I could possibly think of. And we would sit down and take a highlighter and each of us highlight the things that we were going to be responsible for that week. And I think even just having a working understanding of what is there, because otherwise it was like I was the only one who knew whether or not we had pull-ups and when where we got the pull-up, like where did the pull-ups come from and how did they arrive and, you know, all of these small things. And so when we were able to be more explicit about it, what you're also doing is saying, you know, I don't really want to do this this week, but I'm happy to do these other things. And do you want to do these things? And really just not taking those ingrained roles for granted. And of course, all of our lives look different. And, you know, we have different configurations of working from home, working out of home, working or not working, all of that. But having it be a conversation that you are having on an oft occurring basis, I think can really help and helping you be present to, hey, this week looks different for whatever reason. We have, you know, five doctor's appointments for some reason. And we, you know, having it be present to what is going on in our household this week and really honoring like we're both here and we're both responsible for this. And, um, you know, for the person in the house who is carrying the most emotional labor, which by and large, is the mother. Um, it is so important to really begin to understand and value the the amount of energy that that is requiring of you all of the time. Because I think what happens so often is we devalue that. And we think like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know why I'm so tired. Like, I know why I'm so tired. It's because I'm the only person who knows where the secret pull-ups come from. And also, what clothes is in what season and what thing is in what bag and where that tiny calico critter is underneath the couch and to the corner. And, you know, all of that information is in my head all of the time. And so the more that we can honor, I'm putting a lot of energy out. And what am I giving back to myself? Am I giving things back to myself? Because if I'm not, everything that I'm pouring my energy into is unstable. It's unsustainable. And mm -hmm. You know, for me, it is so vital to understand that I care about my kids so much. And if I care about my kids, I have to care about myself because if I don't do that, I have nothing to give them. And that's what I really don't want. Um, and I also don't want to show my daughters that I'm have some sort of like magical energy shelf that, you know, that like doesn't exist that I can just keep going, keep going, keep going because then I'm teaching them. That's what it means to be a good mom. Yeah, yeah. Then you're modeling that. I, I love that. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I like I like to say that self-care is not selfish. It's it's actually our responsibility, right? Like that's that that's where it comes down for me. I mean, I, I think that's so beautiful. We need to we need to be honoring those that labor. That is an ex extraordinary amount of labor. And then they talk about like the mental labor that we do, you know, it it's like Something that burns like an immense amount of calories. In fact, that's why chess players apparently are often so skinny is that they just like are burning mental calories constantly. But I wanted to just kind of go back to what you said. I love that like weekly check in that reminds me of like how we talk about 
chores in our house, like laying it all out with the whole family. And this is what are all the things that need to happen and who can take what, right? And so that idea that people have buy-in and understanding about what, here are all the things, rather than just like going, going, going to get the to-do list, what you're saying is like, this requires a step back. This is this requires that we value time to to take a step back, to to look at the, these things and to, to value all this work that is happening. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcasts right after this break. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. So let's imagine the the parent that that is not doing that, right? It's like doing all the things is not taking that time for themselves. Like what are those what are the signs of burnout that 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 we should be watching out for? Um emotional fragility or irritability that like emotional range you're going from, you know, 0 to 900 in 1 second. Uh rage. Rage. I find that many of my clients are beating themselves up for their anger and not and misreading their anger as a sign of burnout. You know, thinking like, oh, I'm just this horrible, angry mother. And you're not a horrible, angry mother. You know, rage is a symptom of burnout, as is um, sensitivity. And how could you not be sensitive to all of the, the stupid? The stimulus that's happening in your house, the input. Um, my dog just suddenly started whining in the same pitch that both of my kids whine. And it is it is enough to bring me to my knees in about two seconds. Um, so that kind of sensitivity. Also, um, 
Yeah, I think, you know, our our emotional right our emotional regulation or lack thereof is a really big sign that presents itself in the parenting relationship. And um needing your kids to do things in just this right way, being feeling really controlling about that. Um is so often there's this part of you that's just desperate to have it be like that because you see any semblance of your own peace or your own care on the other side of that like bedtime. Um, you know, but this can also happen with procrastination, that feeling of I have so much to do, I can't get anything done. Uh, it could be exhaustion. It could be you're hyperwired and you can't sleep. Burnout manifests in so many ways. But what is really important and what I hope all of you take away from this conversation is that those symptoms of burnout are just that, symptoms of burnout. Too often we experience them as weaknesses or moral failings or um, character flaws. And we regard their presence as evidence that we need to work harder, which only burns us out more and makes those symptoms act up even more. And if instead we can see, hey, you know, these things start to happen. It's like, it happens on a spectrum. I start to feel more uncomfortable, like more sensitive about the fabrics on my body. Then I start to feel really agitated by my kids' voices, not even whining, just when they're just talking all day long. Um, Then I start to feel a lot of internal pressure around getting ready for school in the morning, getting them out the door, and also getting them ready for bed and getting them in bed. Those times where it's like there is a time where they're going to be asleep or at school and I just have to get them to it, that urgency. All of those are examples of burnout for me. And I kind of put them on the spectrum of these are the lightest. Now we're getting more the the urgency feeling. Now we're getting closer. Me getting really angry at my kids for just being the children that they are. Now we're getting closer right to this cliff of burnout. And when we start to see our symptoms in that way as on this spectrum, then we can notice, oh, hey, sensitive to noises, feeling touched out, feeling like the fabrics just don't work right on my body. This is a moment when my body is saying to me, I need something. I don't have to wait until my body's yelling. And in fact, better if I don't. I can pause right here and say, could I use an hour alone by myself. Honestly, it's like sometimes even just going to the grocery store, you're doing a thing for the family, but I'm by myself. I have my own bodily autonomy. I'm listening to a podcast. You know, maybe I'm going to get a cup of coffee, something like that. That's not this huge vacation from your life, but a, a marked container where you're taking your needs into consideration. And you're also saying to yourself, I hear you. You're overwhelmed. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's relatively neutral. You have a lot on your plate. And if I can take the time to turn towards myself in this moment, I don't have to get to the point where I'm, you know, threatening my kids that I'm going to throw off their toys in a trash bag and leave them out on the curb or something horrible that I don't want to do. I can care for myself in this moment before things escalate to this point of extreme exhaustion, getting sick, blowing up picking a huge fight with my spouse, all of these ways that we're trying to say to ourselves, hey, hey, I need help. Can you pay attention to me? Yeah, yeah. And your nervous system is just like 
you know, the, it takes just this tiny little bit at that point to kind of push your nervous system over into into losing that. I mean, that strikes such a chord with me because I so I coach people in the mindful parenting membership and they oftentimes I get parents who are like they're experiencing those things. They're experiencing sensitivity, lack of emotional regulation, wanting to control their kids. They're seeing it as there's something wrong with me. I need to work harder. There's something more. And I see that a lot. And I say, okay, well, we can talk about how to like talk to your kids, but that's going to be useless. It's going to be useless right now until we talk about what kind of support is in your life. Like, where can you take a break in your life? Like, how can you by hook or by crook find some ways? Like, can we brainstorm 10 different ways for you to get half an hour a day to yourself? Like, you know, multiple times a week, because anything we say we talk about with communication or how to stop yelling and all of those things are going to be useless if you were so burnt out that, you, you, you know, you, there's nothing to add on to there. And so it often I think it sometimes it really takes somebody else seeing you and saying, oh, this is what's happening. And hopefully maybe this conversation can be that wake up call for some some of us, right? To to say, oh, that might be me. That could be me. Maybe I should have my partner listen to this conversation because that kind of sounds like me, right? You know, to to even see it because we're so kind of locked in that that way of um, I don't know that self blame, right? Like I think that's really pervasive. Yeah. Well, and I want to be so kind and compassionate here because. Many times, you know, a cornerstone of late stage burnout is a self-protective feature of not wanting people to see you as you know yourself to be, which is, you know, rapidly falling apart and how threatening it can feel to have somebody say to you, you know, hey, I think that you could use some help or you're, you know, needing um, more, more support than you have right now. and. You know, I can remember for myself when I was really struggling with postpartum mood issues, it was a similar kind of thing where my partner said very gently, you know, I think there's something bigger going on with you here. And that felt very scary and very dangerous to have that be seen. And so, you know, if you are hearing yourself and some of what we're talking about, I really want to say to you that, you know, there's nothing bad about being burnt out. You know, there's it's not a personal thing that if you were better or you were stronger that you wouldn't have gotten burnt out. You know, I really think about burnout as system overwhelm. And how could we not be overwhelmed parenting children in 2023? There is so much to contend with. There are so many decisions to make every day, so much to consider. And so as much compassion as you can have for yourself as possible is so essential because it's important that we have spaces where we know that it's okay to be burnt out. Many of us are. Even if you work on your burnout and you heal it to the point where you're no longer burnt out, you may someday find yourself burnt out again. That happens. And what's more important is to have this relationship with yourself where you're starting to notice hey, I fi- I'm finding myself, you know, sliding down this spectrum. I'm noticing I'm more reactive to my kids. I'm wanting to pick a fight with my spouse. These things are happening. This is a symptom. 
and not something that's bad or wrong about me. And also that there are things that I can do. There is support that I can seek and starting to prioritize my own care as if it's essential and it is um, will help me with the burnout that I'm having. It's not, you know, this kind of be all end all thing. Because I think one of the trickiest parts about burnout is, you know, when you get into those later stages of it, you start to, you're, you know, you start to wonder if maybe you're even worth the time or the space in your own life um, that you so vitally need because all you do is see yourself messing up in all of these different kinds of ways. And this is why it's so important that we talk about it because, you know, we don't innately understand that these circumstances happen. I know for myself, if I'm in late stage burnout, I am, you know, my my negative body talk is off the charts. My self-loathing is off the charts. My self-doubt is super present. And inside of my mind is not a kind place. And so what I'm needing in that moment is to be met with compassion and camaraderie and be kind of like rerouted back to my bed, but that's not what I'm experiencing inside of myself. And knowing that that is the case helps so much because you're like, oh, hey, I've been really mean to myself all day and I know what that is. That is what happens when I am not prioritizing my needs, when I'm not taking care of myself or asking for support with what I need. Um, It's neutral in that way. And I think that is so powerful to really take home. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm, it brings up for me uh, like so much compassion for all that suffering like that we go through, you know, and it's that we sh- shouldn't have to go through, you know, just and it just seems so um, like kind of inevitable in a lot of ways, like in the way that are just, you know, hugely social species with with humans that have baby humans that are so immature and have so many needs and that we're so isolated. And it's just I, I'm so frustrated, uh, you know, with the lack of support that parents have, um, at least in the United States for this. And that, you know, if you are experiencing that, like this is in many ways like an inevitable result of the way things are set up, like way beyond you as an individual. So knowing that there are factors way beyond us as individuals that are adding to this, that are lending themselves, that are making this more likely. What are some of the ways that we can advocate for our needs, how we can balance our needs with the needs of our family? I mean, because like we think about an infant, right? And infant's needs are immediate and they have to be met, right? But like that mom's still needs are still there. They're not just going to go away, but they can be delayed. It's just so how can we advocate and balance our needs? So I think what is most important and especially, you know, the younger that your kids are, but this is important always is thinking about what your non-negotiable needs are. Because she absolutely, you're an adult, your needs can be delayed. But because your needs can be delayed, it can sometimes feel like, oh, I can delay them inevitably. And I urge people not to think about it in that way, but instead to think about, you know, what do I need over the course of a given day? What do I need in order to feel like the most kind of human, whole version of myself that I'm feeling, I feel like I matter to somebody, right? That I matter to myself. And I have, I talk to people, you know, people have all different answers to this question. 
For some people, you know, they want their bed to be made. For somebody else, it might be that the laundry is done. So you always have clean underwear. For somebody else, it might be that food is batch cooked so that there's always something to eat. You know, for me personally, this number one thing, even when my children were tiny, was to at some point during the day, but definitely preference for first thing in the morning, to brush my teeth and wash my face. And even if I'm just putting on, you know, another kind of sweatsuit situation, that I have this moment where I'm just having a refresh. That was so important for my mental health, especially during those unending days that were just cycling one into another. And so, you know, asking the people who are around you, you know, hey, can I have this is what I need is 10 minutes, 20 minutes to take a shower, um, to just be my own person and check in with myself, um, to feed myself breakfast, you know, whatever those things are. To go for a walk by yourself. Yeah, but to have like a thing where you're like, at least even though things are tumultuous during this time, I can count on this thing, whatever it is, Um, because that kind of understanding of like, this is the thing I'm going to get no matter what. Now, if I have more of an opportunity on that day, I can have more. Sure. You have as much as you want. That's great. You know, endless care opportunities. But to know what you can count on. Because I think one of the most crushing feelings of parenthood, especially early parenthood, is I am drowning and I don't know when I can expect to get anything that I need. And so if you have this understanding of like, okay, well, at least like at this time, this is going to be it. Um, You know, it might not be enough, but this is the other piece. Something is always better than nothing. You may ache for like the whole enchilada of of self-care experiences and who would blame you, Um, but something is better than nothing. And noticing, hey, okay, you know, actually when I make an effort to eat at regular intervals, other things start to get kind of easier. Or when I make an effort to go to sleep at a certain time every night, everything else is sort of easier. We all have these linchpins that support us in bigger ways. And when we can start to identify what those things are for ourselves, we can have this feeling of, okay, you know, if I only do one thing and that one thing is getting to bed at 10 o'clock at night, that helps. It doesn't fix everything, but it gives me the best possible chance. You know, for me, I want to get up and I want to, you know, do like my whole little routine and get into change my outfit and, you know, pull myself together. That really helps. The second thing that really helps is eating three meals a day at regular intervals. Having stable blood sugar enables me infinite patience when it comes to my children that I wouldn't have otherwise. If I was just, you know, taking it is so easy when you're parenting young kids to see your own hunger as an afterthought because you are feeding people all the time and feeding yourself feels like way too much. But when you notice the impact of that kind of care and, you know, neither of these things are reinventing the wheel or doing something super special, but it's giving yourself a little bit of what you're giving to everyone around you all day long. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think mine was 
getting some exercise. I needed to get my energy out, get my yayas out. I used to take my baby to the YMCA childcare and boy, she didn't like it at first, you know, but we persisted. We persisted until she became comfortable with that. And it was a linchpin in my sanity, for sure. Um, this is so wonderful, so valuable. It's such a needed, <laughs> pun intended, conversation. And I think that for um, for people who are experiencing this kind of thing, it's like a real, like, a, hopefully a, a sense of like, you know, oh, yeah, I needed to hear that probably. Mara. Thank you so much. Mars book is needy. Where can people find out more about you and continue the conversation? Yeah. Come hang out with me at maraglotzel.com. You can find out about the book, about my work. Um, you can take a quiz. What do you need right now? I have created a lot of really awesome resources for you to meet yourself in this exact moment. And you can also find me on Instagram at maraglotzel. I love to hang out over there. So come find me, say hello, and uh, I'd love to continue the conversation there. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, being so open and honoring of this really important conversation and what you saw in yourself and what you see in other people's. I think in other people, I think it's just incredibly valuable. Um, and, and moms particularly need to be honored, you know, what and seen in this way. So uh, thank you for for doing that. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was great. I really enjoyed it. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Like I said, I'm honored that I can do this work, that I can have these conversations with so many people and be part of this conversation. It is, is so, so valuable and these tools have helped me so much. They've helped the Mindful Parenting members so much. And I hope they're helping you. I really, really do. Because um, this is hard. It's hard, right? So let's let's support each other on this journey. Hey, if you like this episode, please subscribe, of course, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can do it right from where you're listening. It just makes a huge difference in helping the podcast grow more. I really, really appreciate it. And I want to give a shout out to Mending Trauma. Thank you so much for your five-star review. They say, packed with value. I've found so much value in Mindful Mama through Hunter's interviews and authenticity about mom life. Raising my five children, three who are differently abled, is challenging. And learning mindfulness completely changed my motherhood game. Thank you, Hunter, for such valuable content. Oh, that is awesome. I hope this work that we do here has helped you just as much. And um, please let me know if it has. Go to share it on your Instagram stories. Tag me in it at Mindful Mama Mentor. And I would love to hear what your feedback is. And I hope you'll share this with the other people who need this message around you, right? Because we, we, so many of us need to remember that our self-care is really the foundation for parenting more consciously and, and breaking generational patterns. It really, really is. So I hope you take good care of yourself this week. Dear listener, I'm so glad you're here. I can't wait to connect with you again next week. Namaste. I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. 
I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.